I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <laughs> what was the cold open, kids? Sorry, what was that, Tully? Oh, we're here? Fuck. Sorry, Tully. Tully was saying something. Sorry. Can, you, can we cut the music? Sorry, Tully was saying something. Welcome to Dungeon <laughs> Deep Dive, the oh. show where I specifically said not to talk over the music. Oh, that's what I, he was saying. I couldn't I hear couldn't, you over the music. Yeah, the music was too loud. My name's Tully Grimley, and with me are my, my co-hosts. <laughs> Hi, I'm Grace. Some documents say my name's Lachlan. Not <laughs> all of them, though. And uh, much like every uh, every other fortnight, we do stuff. research stuff. <laughs> um, we do some research. <laughs> into, fuck. I do your homework for you. Yeah, I'm just doing your homework. Um, we research specific aspects of fantasy worlds to uh, use in your fantasy uh, tabletop RPGs. God, imagine if someone listening to this podcast did just happen to have like an essay due on each of these topics as they were coming out and they're like procrastinating. They're just like, Why do you think I'm becoming a teacher? It's so that I can align my curriculum. <laughs> With Dungeon Deep Dive, you can prep <laughs> so lessons and podcasts. If you kids want to pass your classes, you have to listen. And like the end question on every exam is like, and what was the opening joke? <laughs> what was the cold open, kids? It's like in um, <laughs> fucking... It's like in Mabim Bam, except like the final Yahoo is like the quiz. <laughs> you have to like get you answer the you answer like the question at the end, and that's like your grade. What timestamp did Lachlan say "ooh woo" for the sixth time in this episode? Oh, that's fun because then they have to listen a lot. Yeah, and take notes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, first up, we do want to acknowledge that we are recording on the traditional lands of the Turrbal and Yagara people. Um, these places have always been places of teaching and learning and storytelling, and we'd like to continue in that tradition. Uh, we'd like to pay respects to elders past, present, and emerging, and um, to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Uh, if you are a member of those communities, uh, we would love to have your voice on the show. Um, please reach out, uh, and we would love to, yeah, to talk to you about... Well, inclusion and representation is one of the big things I'd like to talk about, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So I mean realistically, I mean you can email anything you want. Oh yeah. And that actually will extend that offer to all of our listeners. If you'd like to get in contact about absolutely anything, um, whether it be sharing memes, giving advice, telling us what we suck at, uh, whatever it happens to be, you can uh, email us at deepdivetnc at gmail.com or catch us on our podcast on our socials at Dungeon Deep Dive on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Any press is good press, baby, but Yeah. Preferably good press. Let's go for good press first. Yeah, I'm not that. I'm not that fussy. Fair enough. Send uh, whatever you got. But sincerely, please, uh, everyone, if you'd like to be involved, please let us know. Uh, give us some feedback. Give us some advice. Uh, tell us what you think. I just like getting emails. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So today, we're going to talk about 
hair. Hair is fun because it's like we all got something, right? Yeah. In fact, we've got it in, in a couple of places. Weirdly enough, I don't have any hair. Oh, there you I'm go. I'm smooth like a dolphin. Wait, do you have <laughs> hair in more than one place? Yeah, I, I got it here. And I got it here. <gasps> and I got it here. Oh, I just got the dick stuff. And <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. Okay. Well, I need to rework my research. <laughs> so, Grace, do you want to start us off then? I can. Okay. So, I went uh, with sort of hair care and how we've sort of looked after this nasty stuff that we've got all over. I'm imagining sort of being a very operative phrase here. L- look, there's a lot of different ways to look after your hair. Public opinion has changed greatly on which is the correct way to do that. Um, so basically some of the like earliest stuff that we've got is essentially just – Brushing your hair. The whole point of that was the natural oils in your head would condition your hair, keep it healthy, keep it hydrated. Mm-hmm. And then the constant brushing would just sort of pull out any dirt or leaves or whatever you had in your hair. Mm. If it got sticky, does it stick your head in a river? Just wash it out. It's not complicated. Mm. You didn't need soap or anything. They were like, we don't care. In fact, the oil was helpful because if you didn't have like elastics and all sorts of crazy hair stuff, you really just braided it and looped it around itself. Yeah. I don't um, know. If God wanted my hair to be well oiled, he would have I would have been born with a brush. That's See, what I say. I well, you were born with the oil. I just particularly liked um I saw on there. Facebook recently, you know those those um little frames that you can put on your Facebook profile a picture? <laughs> I saw somebody with a Facebook profile frame that said Hands off my oils. <laughs> and it was for the natural hair care or something like that. It was basically like the movement to not shampoo your hair. Yeah. And I could not, I honestly could not tell you if that was sincere or not. Yeah. The world at George Bush. <laughs> Hands off my oils. Yeah, but got him. There recently has been more of a movement towards just like more natural ways of looking after yourself. I mean, that comes with the whole like being very environmentally conscious. A lot of um, a lot of modern shampoos and soaps have um, all sorts of silicones and stuff in them that uh, not ne- uh, they work on your hair. They're supposed to smooth it. Essentially, the silicones and stuff will uh, sort of get stuck in the grooves and bumps in your hair, which make it smoother and shinier. But either get into the water or over time build up in your hair, depending on what your main concern is. It's not Mm. good long term. So Mm. the idea is go back to using more natural stuff that'll just like wash away or leave no trace. Or if you can, just don't use anything. Just brush your hair. Um, Mm. The first like technique for washing your hair really kind of comes from Aleppo in Syria at around 800 AD where there's a lot of um, evidence of them using soap that was made with olive oil, bay oil, water and lye which was then sort of like heated, cooled off and then it was like a a bar of soap that was sort of an all-purpose wash your hair, wash your body, wash whatever. It's soap. Isn't lye like toxic as hell? Lye is... It's what they used to wash down prisoners of war with. It's That look, sounds like a bad thing. It's an incredibly like alkaline. It's a very um, versatile disinfectant. Yeah, basically 
I have a little thing here about how they make lye. Un, uh, undiluted, it is dangerous and it will eat through fabric. It's used for disinfectants. It's used for like breaking down. Like it will break down any and all aluminium. When, yeah, it's corrosive, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's incredibly corrosive. When and cattle got um, open wounds, they would pat it down with lye. Yeah. Uh, I imagine that wasn't comfortable. No. Um, we talked about this briefly in Plagues? Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, and it is genuinely a very good disinfectant. It'll do it. Um, basically, lye is made from boiling ash in water. Uh, hardwood ash works best, but they just shove it in the water, boil it, and then they wait for the ash to sink to the bottom, and then what's left is the lye that floats on top. Hmm. Not sure how that all works. from the fibres, something like that. Yeah, it's essentially what's like after you break down the the carbon and stuff until it forms and then you heat it up it all separates eventually and then you get the lye on top and you scoop that off and then the the whole idea of like using fats and oils was to um dilute this lye so that it wasn't dangerous you could store lye in like a bottle or whatever but it was also handier to mix it with an oil or a fat and keep it as you know a solid item that you could just dry off and stick in a box somewhere it's fun. It's like the opposite of vaping. Instead of just like, instead of getting rid of all the bullshit <laughs> to get just like the least dangerous part, you and you use it and you make it into air, you turn all turn it into, you get all the stuff out to get all the poison out. And you're just like, here's my poison now. Yeah. Like imagine, imagine if uh, that's what <laughs> imagine if that's what vaping did. You just like put you put like some something in like a dry one of the dry vapes, and it was just like all it did was concentrated all of the poison straight into you. <laughs> just fill yourself with like neurotoxin and die instantly. Um, so I was just looking at lye. Apparently, it is actually used quite a lot in even making modern soaps. Mm. Um, sodium hydroxide and potassium hydroxide are both lye. Um, so oh. a lye is any metal hydroxide. Um, so yeah, uh, potassium hydroxide and, um, sodium hydroxide are used quite often. So it is okay in like small, at least for the skin in like small enough, yeah, the idea, in like the right ratios. The mm. idea was that, yeah, mixing with the oils and the fats would dilute it, make it safe to be used. I mean, it probably wasn't great if you got in your eyes or a cut or something. It's actually used to cure, uh, Nordic lutefisk, olives, canned mandarins, uh, hmm. Century eggs, oh, you're pretzels, and <laughs> yeah. bagels. Oh, you mean like curing food? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was like, I, I thought you meant like disease curing. Because <laughs> at first I was like, I don't know what the Nordic thing is. So I was like, oh, it's probably a disease. And then you were like, olives? And I was like, wait, <laughs> what's <laughs> wrong with the olives? I have a case of olives. <laughs> doctor, doctor, please, what are you going to do? I'm sorry, son. You but got you olives. Have, <laughs> you have bagels. <laughs> you got to drink some lye. That's all I got left for you. Yeah, so basically European Crusaders went over to Syria and they were like, this stuff rocks. We love this stuff. And they took soap back home. They I took mean, soap back home. of things to take home. Not that bad. was helpful. Um, so I like that there's a 300-year gap, though. Yeah, 800 AD and then 1100. Yeah, I'm just looking at Grace's notes and that's a fun timeline. It's mm-hmm. like, in Syria, we have soap. In Europe, 300 years later, they're like, wait. Do we see some soap over there? <laughs> okay, we should get some soap. What if that's all the Crusades were? It was just the Catholics the were like, soap. God, we smell so bad. 
We smell so bad. Oh my god, they smell uh, great in Syria. Um, it was just they exiled all the soldiers for smelling too bad. They put them on the water <laughs> and they came back with soap. And I was all, like, "We're better now, boys." That's why they let them come back in because they went and stole all the soap. Um, yeah, so there's a medieval hair washing technique, which is uh, you rinse your hair with lye and wine. So this is the lye here was undiluted. That's why they were mixing Oof. with the wine. Mm. So they'd mix it together. They get a little bit of wine, a little bit of lye, mix it all together, rinse your hair out. Um, and then basically that, that was done just like standing over a tub. You just pour it on, rub it through. Then you would uh, rinse it with hot water. And then afterwards you'd go through with what's essentially like a leave-in conditioner, which was made from oil or fat mixed with like a nice perfume or some, some uh, fruity zest. And then mm. you just like massaged and combed that through. And that was that was that it. Was it. Uh, it was very important that you let it air dry completely before bed or you get sick and die. That makes sense. You would get sick and die. That you makes sense. Sick and die. You probably don't want like mm. lion animal fat all over your head all night. It's probably mm. not good for you. Well, the sort of like the stuff that they used to wash their hair and to condition their hair was one of the reasons why you had a lot of nightcaps. Um, you would... As depending on what era, covering your hair in fats of some description was very common practice at the end of the day was to like crane your hair and then you'd put like an oil or a fat through it to keep it moisturized and like thick and luscious and glossy. But of course, things would try and eat it or you'd get it all over your pillow. So you'd have a nightcap that you tied on over your head to or keep your, your hair nice and clean. candle would light it ablaze. Yeah, it was not great, but your hair was thick and shiny. Yeah, and I, flammable. And because I mean, one of the main things that that oil is supposed to do, because I mean, that's how soap how soap works, is to like catch all of the little things that are like in your hair in the oil, so you yeah. can then you take can it then out when you out. take the oil out. Hmm. So if you're just like leaving that shit in, shit in overnight, then you've still got all of the like dangerous chemicals you just put through your hair still sitting there as well, because hmm. you haven't gotten rid of the thing that's supposed to get it out. So you're just like chilling with. In fucking medieval Europe with fucking fat and lye on your head. And you're just like, I'm going to go to bed in my shack. Hope the rats don't eat me. Mm. Or oh, rats would have been bad. Yeah. Rats would have been rough. Rough. Um, yeah, so basically soap went all over Europe. Uh, went everywhere. Uh, it was very popular for hairstylists to sort of boil the shaved soap into like a concoction that they would soak your hair in with herbs to make it shiny and smell pretty. Mm. Um, but because of the way the soaps were made with the fats and the oils, they'd often leave like a, a film on your hair that would make it sort of dull and like heavy um, just because of like the nature of the soap. And I guess that's mm. what they wanted at the time. They were wanting like thick hair that would stick together for elaborate braids or ponytails or whatever. Mm. Um in oh god, yeah! I'm thinking about those like elaborate, like like a Vogue esque big hairstyles that they would have in like. Um, I'm imagining that what's the blonde lady with the blue Marie Antoinette? Yeah, like a how gross would that hair have been to stay like that? It was pretty gross. Fleas and infestations were fairly common on those things, gross. but at the same time, your hair was never expected to actually be all of your hair. Um, most of those were like you tie your hair and braid it up into like a little bun and then your bun would be like a an anchor for you to attach hair pieces to. That's, uh-huh. that's um, fair. They worked out the value of wigs pretty early on. Yeah. Um, even when you go forward in time and you look at um, more like natural updos like 
more Victorian era or like Gibson girl stuff where it looks like, hey, she's just got a lot of hair and a big bun. A lot of that was women would collect their own hair from hairbrushes and then they'd like they'd like bundle them up or sew them up into little um into like essentially like little hair rolls that you would pin to your hair and then bend your own hair over to make it look like you've had more thick and luscious hair. Because like thick, beautiful hair was a sign of like health and youth and beauty and you wanted to be able to have like this huge head of like luscious locks so So fucking gross well i mean it like it's your hair it matches your hair and if you're like a poor if you're like a poor working woman who can't afford a wig uh, why not just like bump your own hair back in there but like on the other hand imagine all of the hair you've ever pulled out of a hairbrush being put into a ball in front of you yeah it's a lot of hair and it also wasn't particularly harrowing clean um but yeah Okay, so going. God, it smells so bad. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, that's what all the lovely perfumes and oils were for. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, so basically, colonial traders went through India and they found like a hair and body massage called um, shampoo. You should probably be giving times for these. Oh, yeah, this is um, 1800 AD. The last one, the. Uh, 1500 is when soap was making its rounds and then people started shaving it down into like a soak for your hair. Um, and then 1800s, uh, they went around to India and they were like, hey, you guys can like do cool massages and stuff. I like this. Um, so yeah, the word for this like hair and body massage, um, shampoo, shampoo, uh, was basically like the origin of the word shampoo. And that was the whole idea of not just rinsing this stuff through your hair and then like combing it out. It was like rubbing it in and mas- like getting it through, huh. you know? So that so the original word for shampoo was the idea of like putting it in and lathering it. Yes, interesting. A lot of these soaps didn't like bubble up as we know them today. Um, that was a fairly like new and exciting thing that they found out soap could do. Um, so it was more just like really getting it in there because up until that time, the getting the gunk out of your hair was the combing, not the washing. That's fair because I guess the lather is really just there, so you have a visual indication. Like a, and like a through. sensory indication of like how mm. much you've done. It's not really doing anything. Um, yeah. So in 1898, a Berlin chemist opened a drugstore dedicated to perfume and he sort of invented the first water soluble powder shampoo. Um, basically, you just shake that stuff on, get wet and that's it. It was the first time that he that they had soap and um, like hair care products that weren't in either a bar or or sort of like a goopy, oily liquid format. That's so easy because I'm already wet. Yeah, you just shake it on, let's go. Um, <laughs> it was essentially like a dry shampoo. Thanks for just going with that. Hi, <laughs> look. <laughs> I'm always going to support your bit. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so in 1908, the New York Times outlined simple rules on how to shampoo your hair, and it claimed that the best uh, that was best shampooed at night followed by a thorough combing and brushing and singeing split ends. Whoa. Sorry, what? Yes. Okay, so the trimming of your hair was really important because the whole idea of, like, especially for women, having that, like, long hair was really important. And if you let your split ends get too bad, your hair would get brittle and break off. So if you kept continuously, like, every time you washed your hair, because that wasn't as often, Mm. if, like once a month when you washed your hair, you trimmed all your split ends off, your hair was less likely to get brittle, especially if it was constantly like in its own oil and was constantly tied up and protected. Sorry, but you said... The singeing was rough. Not sure how they managed to do that without losing the whole head of hair when it was covered in oil. 
Yeah. No that's oh, yeah, true. That's what I was going off is singeing hair no full clue. of oil. That's going to be good. That's It's fun that they, that they understood that early on, though, because I remember finding out that uh, a couple of years back, I don't remember what it was, but there was some, some video of someone that I'd, like, followed online who'd, like, wanted, like... A, openly not cut their hair in like 15 years mm. and then we do a hairdresser at one point and they were like hey so what's the deal with that and the hairdresser took a look at their hair and they were like ah oh, yes this is a hundred percent split ends i do not know how you expected this to grow any longer yeah i mean i i bleached my hair nearly two years ago and there is a obvious dip where the damaged hair has become split and brittle and is like thinner at the bottom than it is at the top because the bleach bit is just damaged and split. Because it's not, it's not a whole dang strand of hair. There's nothing I can do about it. Just got to wait for it to grow out. That's fun. Um, yep. Yeah, so basically uh, soap is applied with a stiff brush and rinsed four times every month to six weeks. So you you soap your hair up, you lather it, you brush the soap through, and then you rinse it out. The idea is you have to brush the soap through but four times every month uh, or six weeks. Not a crazy schedule. Those are like it's, two complete. Yeah. Oh, four times every. Do you mean four times every month or four times every six weeks? Or do you mean Applied you either with a do it. brush and rinsed four times. No. You rinse it every. Rinse it four times. And then wash every it every month. Month to six weeks. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I wasn't sure because it sounded for a second like you were saying you either do it once a week or once every six weeks and yeah. you cannot do any other times. Yeah, they're like, hey, rinse your hair once a week, but like wash it every six weeks. Yeah, if you miss a week, you have to wait five. <laughs> yeah, so this is 1908. It is not till the 1970s where they started really like ramping up uh, like a lot of the like hair care products are really coming in. It was post-1950s like... Mm. Marketing beauty products to women really, like, got in. They really went crazy for this stuff. Um, And they started saying that it was unhealthy not to shampoo your hair several times a week, which is where the whole idea of, like, washing your hair every couple of days whenever it got oily came in. Mm. Um, Before that, it was just like, hey, your hair's oily. Brush it through and tie it back. You're fine. Don't even stress, guys. Um, So, yeah, the 1970s is really where, like, our idea of hair care these days came in. Mm. And before that, it was very much just brushing and rinsing occasionally with a soap when you could get it or when you thought it was necessary. Mm. Um, That's interesting because that seems like such a ubiquitous thing now. Like, it's such a like – like there's no – you're not going to find anyone that argues like that mm. you should wash your hair, that, that it's not reasonable to wash your hair like once a week, once every two weeks. Mm. And, yeah. Unless they're like, a, like really like – hardcore like an environmentalist or something mm. like it's so weird that just like a hundred years ago that would be completely unheard of it would be weird if you even brushed your hair that often yeah i mean it's this is very much like because i was looking at like soaps and like medieval history and it was very easy to find stuff on like european history the whole idea of washing your hair up far less often is very prevalent in like uh african and like in like communities where your hair is like curly and frizzy because the whole idea of like shampooing your hair is very like washing your hair is very different because it's a totally different hair to take care of which is why if i brush coconut oil through my hair it would be horrifying if someone who has like kinky frizzy curly hair did it it would be a delightful look and would be very healthy Hmm. um but yeah 
So up until soaps and washing your hair often became very common. Basically, yeah, rinse it, brush it. If you're feeling fancy, you could get hair powder, which was basically just, it was made of flour or starch. You literally just put some flour in your hair. Flour or starch. Yeah, that's also why the, the nightcaps were important. Because basically, well, you wouldn't want to lose your flower. Well, this was for, you, this was you, usually for special occasions. You because rinse your was, hair and you make glue. Oh my god! Yeah, um, scrape it off, turn it into dough in the morning. <laughs> Gross. Oh, well, this was for like fancy special occasions. I guess, I guess flour, oil, and water. Yeah, so that's, that's dope. Yeah, this was for special occasions because men had their like powdered wigs, and you could take that stuff off before bed. It was fine. Just take your wig off. It's so weird to think. That the powder on wigs, like, yeah, sometimes it was lead. Sometimes may well have just been flour. Just flour. That's so um, dumb. But uh, a lot of the time women didn't have the uh, luxury of taking their powdered wig off before bed because they were expected to have, like, a full healthy head of hair. Um, so they would have – you could get it in all sorts of colours, blue, pink, purple. What colour do you want your hair to be tonight? Powder that up. you wash oh, it up so tomorrow. they used to dye – their hair. Yeah. But like just for shits and gigs that night so they feel fun. Just so it's fun. It's like just for you. Yeah. So you'd like, if you were like a rich French aristocrat, you'd have your hairstylist come over, do your hair up all fancy and then just sort of, they would literally get like a big pair of bellows and just sort <laughs> of spray powder onto your hair. Kind of the way that you use like glitter hairspray on a sports day. I mean, th- that is literally just dry shampoo at that point. Yeah, it's dry shampoo. And I mean, that was a very fancy equivalent, but I mean, even like working class and poor people would put flour in their hair to like when they wanted their hair to match the like as close as they could get to the uh fashionable do's of the time if you had like mm. a a party or a wedding or something and you wanted to look fa- fashionable and fancy you'd get some flour and stick it in your hair and do it up all nice like the, you see a fucking rich guy down the street doing plus i mean what better way to get all the like greasy shittiness out of your hair than just by putting like a fine powder and combing all that out instead yeah soak it up mm. um before uh, before hair powder fell out of fashion because it wasn't cool for it, but people didn't like doing this too much for a while, especially because hair powder eventually ended up being taxed in uh, Paris. Oof. Um, and they were like, hey, if you want to wear hair powder, you have to pay us. And everyone said, no. Fuck you. Um, it was worn almost always with a pomade, which at the time mm. was made out of fat and oil mixed with like oils and perfumes. It was essentially the soap without the soap bit. Yeah. Um, and they just like push that through and it made, it worked exactly the same way pomade today works. Hold your hair up, give it a bit of stiffness so you can add all your like hair pieces on top. And it also meant that you could, um, like get that coating of blue hair powder that you wanted Mm. without, um, without it like falling off or like drifting around the place while you're doing your dances. It was just like a little glue. Um, but even like hair cleaning because you only like washed your hair with your soap every couple of weeks, they just leave it in and brush it out and, like, do it up the next day the same way. It's fun because it's, like, none of these things, even the things in, like, the 1970s, like, you, there's no reason you couldn't have done this, sh- like, powder shit in, like, 800. They just, it's just funny that, like, the progression of hair care is just as we... Legitimately is just as we thought to try different things. See, the thing I'm noticing is the more we did with hair care the more we continued to need to do. Yeah, it's fun how it's like this like fun self-perpetuating cycle as we just have to like mm. counter everything we've worked out how to do. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I've I've put flour in my hair. My hair was really oily. I was in the middle of nowhere, and I said, "I'm not washing my hair. We don't have hot water." And I put flour in my fringe, and I put the rest up at the back, and I said, "No one will notice how yucky I look." Did it work? Nobody noticed anything because Yay. nobody cares. Oh. Nobody cares. Well, as long as you don't look like you're drowning in grease, no one's going to notice. Is mm. it dry shampoo? Is it flour? I don't know. <laughs> Neither do you. That's, yeah, fair. that's fair. How's anyone going to be able to tell? Um, yeah. Anyway, that's my bit. Brush cool. your hair a lot and you won't need to wash it as often. Fun. Fun. Um, Okie doke. So I'm just going to give a quick content warning right up top because uh, I'm now going to talk about some of the like cultural and personal significance of hair and different hairstyles and stuff. Um, so that's going to touch on things like slavery and the Holocaust, unfortunately. So if that's not something you want to listen to, uh, whoever edits this, let's make sure we put time codes in the show notes. Yes, so we'll try and put some time codes in there so that you know when this ends uh, and when the next section starts because uh, that'll touch on some of the same things but in far less um, worrying contexts. Yes. So the article, pretty much like my main source for this, is an article in the Chicago Kent Law Review uh, by someone named Deborah Pergament. It's called, It's Not Just Hair, Historical and Cultural Considerations for an Emerging Technology. So this article is actually talking about the kind of implications of genetic testing in hair, and it's tying that into like the history of like cultural uh, cultural significance of hair and then invasion of that kind of culture. Hmm. Um, well, not in fa- sorry, and interference with the culture and those cultural practices as like an intentional yeah. shitty thing. Yeah. Um, obviously, hair has been significant for like many cultures throughout human history. Um, different hairstyles and stuff have been important to lots of different people. Um, for instance, like uh, the the Jewish community, um, especially like Orthodox Jewish communities, mm. uh, obviously have like pretty strict requirements for especially like men's hair with the, um, uh, I have it, what, you had the name, uh, didn't you tell Yes, me? it is the, uh, hang on, gotta jump back to my notes, I was in another thing, uh, the payout. There we go, thank you, I just scrolled too far away from it. Um, so that's like a, obviously a big thing in um, Orthodox Jewish communities. You'll see that kind of like all around. Um, also, like the African American community, there's a lot of like cultural significance that comes with those like kind of traditional hairstyles and everything. Um, so, while on the one hand, like this, which and that comes from the era of obviously slavery in the United States, where um, people where like slaves would be would use different like hairstyles and stuff as like a way of kind of maintaining their like human dignity mm-hmm. and like maintaining like some method of self-expression um on it's kind of comes from this from like the antebellum plantation culture with that was that kind of arised out there um so that was like a, a kind of like rejection of this like culture that they were obviously forced to try and become a part of. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, you have uh, the like Orthodox Jewish community and communities like that will see their hair as part of a 
as as like a a firm identifier of members of that group that date purely just to like that group's practices over time. Yeah. Um, as opposed to like something that is really kind of inspired by the happening by like the 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 cultural context. Um, so, because I believe that actually dates back to a handful of, like, biblical, um, passages is the word I'm looking for. So, there is, um, essentially it is grown because there is a a passage in the the Hebrew Bible that dictates that, um, one should not round off the corners of the head, uh, nor, I think it's, I don't have the second half of it. Oh, yes. Neither shalt thou mar the corners of thy beard. Yeah. So essentially what that was taken to mean is you don't cut your beard and you don't cut the the corners of your head, which is essentially the areas above your, your ears. Yeah, and that is from, here we go, from the Chumash. Which is one the the five books of Moses in Leviticus, is mm. where that's is that where that is written down. Um, some historians say that one of the kind of original ideas of that was to distinguish um, Jewish people from their like neighboring pagan uh, pagan communities, just uh. to have like a, a distinct kind of identifier. Yeah. Uh, some people also it it's argued that it's like a kind of symbolic significance between um the with the the mandate to leave corners of cultivated fields unharvested f- to collect and for like collection and for the and the and then subsequent survival yeah. of like the people like the of the widow the orphan and the stranger the idea being that you would leave some of your crops ready yeah. to kind of give to people. Yeah, if you couldn't grow like, your own crops, times there was need. supposed to be a way yeah. to, that you could access some. Yeah, it was just like kind of leaving some aside for people. Um, so there, there's some, some people say that it's got something to do with that. Hair also has a lot of significance throughout history as like a gendered or kind of like a sexual orientation signifier. Um, so obviously there are plenty of places in the world, I mean, even today where like, there are very gendered hair requirements and stuff. Yeah. But even stretching back into history, there was there's kind of been an idea based on um, like there was a British anthropologist who went into um, India and Sri Lanka and saw like indications that um, like long hair or at least came back and said that they thought <laughs> that like long hair was like unbounded sexuality and stuff, which is actually kind of obviously a mentality that you see more in Western cultures was probably projection a lot of the time. But yeah. Because um, if you look back through, and, and some, pe- some people have like tried to look back through and look at like the psychological symbolism of hair throughout like Western mythology and stuff. Mm. And there's a lot of like consistent things about like women with long hair are like something to do with like... like it, this article says phallic monsters, some, <laughs> something like Medusa, for instance. Uh, this idea yeah. of like sexuality being turned against you. Yeah, well, um, I mean, like a lot of the st- a lot of the time, like be- beauty standards for women was like long, thick, uh, naturally beautiful hair, but you had to tie it up, or it was often like hidden and tied back. And it was like only very recently that like a widespread women across the world sort of didn't have like 
little hats or scarves or some description of like holding your hair back and keeping modest, which I mean, even a, a lot of communities today still have some oh, version yeah. of. I mean, it's it's been noted historically, and I'll get on into it a little bit, but there's it's been noted historically that hair coverings are for modesty for women, mm. very much mandated. Probably coming mm. from like exactly what you said, that idea of like loose, long hair being like kind of, it's a little um sexy. Yeah, it's risque. <laughs> mm. And you can see um, bits of that in kind of, most cultures, at least to some extent, I mean, on to as a converse to the like masculine requirements in like Orthodox Jewish communities again, um, married women are expected to cover their hair, mm. um, similar to obviously like uh, Islamic headdresses. Um, I know that there's a lot of things. I don't know if it's necessarily for women, but I know that like in Sikhism, there's a lot of things about covering your hair. Um, so it's just like it's kind of a thing that exists in a lot of cultures. Mm. It's as like a sign of like restraint or professionalism or modesty or something along those lines. Um, and so kind of as on the flip side of that, then taking someone's hair is like such a personal violation because yeah. it has such um, significance. And one of the best examples of this is in a debate that occurred in, a, I think it was a British museum following uh, in kind of like the latter half of the 20th century yeah. when they were sent a series of artefacts from, from World War II, specifically from Nazi Germany. Yeah. And one of the crates that they were sent was a thing of human hair because what was happening in, the, in kind of the early days of the Nazi regime is at first they would shave... Jewish people's hair to first of all get rid of those like cultural signifiers um, and kind of like strip you of like your cultural identity because it was a big part of like the yeah. uh, day-to-day like identification of people um, of your faith. But it was also some, uh, suge- it's also been suggested that it was a way to make sure that anyone that got out and then left Germany could not be mistaken. Like mm. so that they were ensuring that like this kind of, this Nazi idea of what, of what Jewish people were followed you. Yeah. Because, like, you see, you then see in France, for instance, in 1930, a family with, like, all of their heads, like, buzzed short, only Mm. just starting to grow back in. It's probably pretty clear where they've come from. I wonder if that's... And, I mean, I've got no basis to believe this except speculation, but our modern idea of the the skinhead the uh like shaven head being a a dangerous person is that interesting let out mm. cultural idea based off that sort of thing well because on the flip side skinheads are usually like nazis or fascists at the very mm. least as kind of like that's how like you talk about a skinhead so it could even be like flipping that like an intentional subversion of that idea yeah for me i, th- I think for me, it stands to say that the marginalised communities likely to be uh, committing crimes of necessity would be maybe sh- like Sean Heads. And so even when it's shifted to a more right-wing like fascist, fascist ideals, it's still this idea mm. that shaven heads are dangerous because historically they've been criminals. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I mean, in modern times, like you see someone with a buzz cut and you're like, oh... 
maybe the army or something, which, I mean, would play into the whole idea of, of appearing authoritarian mm. or at least dangerous. Um, yeah. Anyway, fun yeah. speculation. Oh, yeah. No, I would just, I'm just saying, I would just wonder if that was just a gradual shift as like that idea of this is a bad thing kind of yeah. was moved into post-World War II when Nazis were the biggest bad thing. Mm. Um, or if that was like intentionally being like, no, fuck you. This is for you now. This mean this is a way we talk about how you're evil. Mm. I, I just wonder if it was a conscious thing. Um, but so this museum gets this big shipment, and they get it's like twenty tons of human hair or something. It's like That's a lot. It's like a, a stupid amount of hair because eventually they would get to a point where anyone that was selected for labor at all. At first, it was just like people that uh, that they would imprison for like specific reasons. Then later on, it was people that they were like executing in the ca- in concentration camps. Mm. And then finally it was just kind of anyone that was doing any labor. They would just be like, it was just a complete dehumanization. Mm. Um, and the article goes in to talk about like how difficult it is when you see just like a sea of shaven heads to distinguish people in that crowd because hair is such an important part yeah. of like what you look like. And then you're just kind of reducing everyone to just the same features. I mean, if if you've ever mistaken somebody else for a friend on the street, it's always from behind. It's their hair. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, even the same person. I got called up a couple of times because my old driver's license had me with short pink hair and now I have long blonde hair. And they were like, hold up. Wait. Yeah. I don't know. It's such a big part of how you identify an individual. Mm. So you take that away from every individual and Mm. the idea is there are no longer any individuals. Um, So this museum was was originally just going to be like, okay, we'll just put on display like everything else until um, they had this this committee with a lot of people were um, were like, there were some like women survivors of the Holocaust Mm. on that committee who were just like, because... Legally, and that's what this article goes into, hair kind of isn't anything. Uh, taking, as even though the main reason that like a blood test is considered invasive isn't necessarily because of the needle, it's more because of the information that you can get from a blood test and like how much that can fuck up your life if like the wrong person gets all of your genetic info. Yeah. Um, a hair test does exactly the same thing with a longer history and is easier to do to someone against their will Wow. And yet, it is considered completely non-invasive under, like, pretty much any jurisdiction. So, this... That's worrying. Yeah. Which is just, like, obviously has, like, some troubling implications legally. Um, But that's kind of the attitude. So, they were like, oh, we'll just put it on display like anything else. And it wasn't until some women were like, that could be my mother's hair. I don't want that on display. That's part of people. Whether you think it's like important or not, that's part of someone. So uh, there's so there's been a big debate about like whether to bury that stuff as well. Yeah. Because and but I mean, there's but only so much. What do you do with it? Do you keep mm. it in storage? Do you bury it? Do you incinerate it? Like, do you, I suppose like you can give it back to community leaders, but what are they going to do with it? Also, how do you know whose hair is whose? It's exactly. all just hair. Um, yeah. And half of it's been shipped all over the world. I mean, the Nazis started selling it to countries to make textiles and rope and stuff out of it. Oh, yeah. That was how yeah. they started, like, they started, because it got to a point where, like, they were using the labor and those camps and stuff to really fund their whole mm. regime. Mm. So 
you couldn't even get all of it back together. So some people are like, you should bury it. Some people are like, you should destroy it. I think what the museum ended up doing was they left it in storage and they created a full, like, wall-to-ceiling, like, one-to-one scale mural to mm. show how big it was. Mm. And then, like, an explanation as to why they wouldn't actually put it in the yeah. museum. Yeah. Which seems to be kind of, like, one of the better ways to handle it's something like this. It's a good like way this. to handle the significance of it. It also is also really interesting how they approach that being, like, an exceptionally personal and, like, individual thing. Because you can go to – you can go to Holocaust museums all over that have some – you have, like – crates of wedding rings and crates of children's shoes and like they're horrifying and personal things to look at that show a real scale but it's interesting that like the distinction though they were like okay this is these like personal belongings the hair is is different people yeah but then on the other hand the the most convincing argument i saw in favor of putting it in the museum is they were like how else do we ensure that nobody ever questions that this happened. Yeah. It's and like that this happened on this scale. Mm. Like how else do you get 20 tons or whatever it was, uh, it was some insane amount of human hair in one place other than by taking it? Yeah, There's nothing else you can that, do. That's a good point because you can collect wedding rings, you can collect shoes from like rubbish dumps and jewellery stores and whatever, but like you can't get hair from people in that amount without – Something fucked up really happening. Yeah, that's thousands of people whose heads you shaved. And you can't just shave thousands of people's heads. So so there were some people saying, like, the only way to effectively deal with, like, Holocaust denial is to put all this stuff on display. So it's just interesting. The that po- is an interesting counter-argument and not one I would have expected. Mm. Yeah. So point being, hair is significant to a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. And there's a lot of... It's a really kind of nuanced issue to examine. There's a lot of, like, kind of different factors. So I think if you're going to make a point of using hair in a game, it's important to keep in mind the personal and the cultural significance that hair often has, especially to a marginalised community. A community that needs to be able to safely identify allies. Exactly. And... Um, um, Picking up directly from that, in fact, this is a perfect baton handover, Um, I'm going to be talking about um, hair in religion, specifically how it identifies, how it's used as a cultural identifier. Oh, perfect. Um, Okay. So, the the first and most perfect example of this is the payot that we were talking about before, these, the the ringlets uh, that appear at the sides of the head in uh, Jewish men. Uh, So these are grown, again, because the Bible dictates that you shall not round off the corners of the head. And there are a lot of different divergences uh, showing different sort of sects of Judaism, varying from very strict adherence to never touching it to keeping it more as a symbolic gesture. Um, So just as an example, um, the Satmar Jews, uh, they tend to tuck the side locks behind their ears, but it's um, notably thicker than most other groups. Okay. Um, so they keep a larger area, um, whereas some some groups uh, twist them into a very tight coil and leave them in front of their ears. Um, some traditional Yemenite Jews, they still wear um, the thin and twisted locks, but they go all the way up down to their arms. Um, they actually don't cut them. Um, there are various... Uh, so the Chabat Lubavitch, uh, 
Hasidim's uh, payot, they're, they're, they're not there. They, or they don't show up as much. Um, so long as there is hair around the ear and behind it that can be plucked out, that is considered long enough to be payot. Interesting. Yeah. And that's another thing that I think is kind of interesting about this is that as much as these practices were used against people as like a kind of as a directly like like genocidal thing at some points in history, it's also like beard plucking, for instance, was a common punishment in like Israelite communities kind mm. of pre- any of this happening. Yeah. Like, stretching back into, like, antiquity. So it's kind of interesting that, like, that's also just kind of, like, you know? Yeah. And um, <laughs> it really is It really is a sign of... I do, don't. <laughs> uh, it's a really big sign of divergence within a religion. Mm. Um, is there's all these different uh, sects and communities have different customs that all stem from the same thing. Um so it's very interesting to see that that is, even within a community, a cultural signifier. Um, another, and, and another idea of this is the tonsure. Now, um, the tonsure is the, me- the method of shaving or shearing, clipping or shearing the head for religious purposes, uh, which is notably known as being a, a thing for monks, being a tradition for monks. Uh, yeah. Uh, so this is primarily associated with uh, Christian monks, although um, a completely shaved head, a bald head, is still a tonsure, uh, which is a tradition that follows through into Eastern Orthodoxy, into Buddhist Buddhist novices, into Islam after completing the Hajj. Um, it is a very common thing across a lot of religions. Mm, I Air know benders. it's a... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's 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 so it's really often associated with like Tibetan monks specifically. Yeah. Um, is that like an is that is that like common in Tibet for Buddhist monks to shave their heads? Do you yes. Know? Okay. So so yeah. that is a, at least an appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. It is, and that's technically tonsure, um, but specifically, I want to talk about um, the two other forms of tonsure. Uh, the first one being the coronal tonsure. So that's the the crown tonsure. Uh, and ascent, that is meant to, uh, it is believed it's meant to emulate the crown of thorns of yeah, that's, Jesus Christ. That's the one where like monks pretend they just have like a really fucking weird bald spot in the middle of their head. It's yeah. just like most of their head. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Love that one. Uh, so it's meant to emulate uh, the crown of thorns. I cannot tell you how strong my urge is to go home and immediately just like clip her off the middle of my hair. <laughs> That'd be so fucking funny. Um, and so Holy shit. this is otherwise known as the Petrine tonsure or the Roman tonsure. Uh, and it was the Roman Catholic way. Roman Catholic monks would do their hair this way. That makes uh, sense. So we know the Roman, uh, the coronal tonsure, which is the Roman tonsure. We know about the Pauline tonsure, which is the shaved head, uh, which is very common around the world. But there is actually a third kind of tonsure that disappeared entirely. <gasps> that we, we don't have any record of how it is. We do have some vague record of what it looked like from the front and from the back, but we don't know the shape that they shaved out. Um, for, we don't know it for certain. Okay. And this is uh, because it is... Well, it was uh, the British and specifically Irish Catholic Church. Um, their monks would have a different kind of tonsure. And this was... Uh, no, so not Irish Catholicism, Irish Christianity... And even within Christianity, there was a lot of fighting. I mean, the the Catholics and the Protestants, um, like 
there's a lot of infighting within the various churches. It's why Catholicism started. I don't. I don't think Christians in Ireland have ever fought each other, guys. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard of that happening no. before. Um, but one of the big things is essentially because this different type of tonsure was used as an identifier as a way to target monks who were not of the Roman Catholic Church and as a way to paint them as uh, pagans. Oh, my God. That is, that is believed to be why we have no record of it anymore. And it is, it's theorized that what they actually shaved out was a triangle shape in the head, but there's no confirmation of this, no modern confirmation of this, because there's no record of it. We need it's, another bog, It's mummy. been wiped out. The Romans just, like, really just used crowns to mean whatever the fuck they felt like, huh? Yeah. Because, like, the Roman... I, admittedly, as the Roman Catholics, it's a different Roman Empire, I understand. But, like, mm. the Roman Catholics did realise that the crown of thought... Like, the it was other Romans that made that. Yes. Um, but, it, yeah, essentially, this was used as a cultural signifier that was able to... That they were then able to find and eliminate sects of Christianity. Um, Which, I mean, would have seemed baffling if you were coming, like, 40 years earlier when it would have been the perfect symbol of who was your, like, useful for you to find out who was your best ally around you. Mm. Um, So that's that's the idea of cultural signifiers for um, being used against the groups, I suppose. Um, Then there's just a couple of other cultures so there's the idea of um hair cut hair covering for so hair covering for modesty um so the idea of the wimple um which is the name of the um the head covering of a nun's habit but also used in just to mean a head covering for i guess christian cultures um okay and there's some um, there's some very there's some very pretty and elaborate like medieval hairstyles because mm. you had to have a wimple if you were like a medieval lady and uh, they, like, if you were married so yes. it was unseemly for a married woman to show her hair in public. Yes. Oh, that's why they wore them in... Because I just remembered the only time I've seen those recently in drawings was in the pictures of the marital dueling that I was looking at. <laughs> All yeah. of the women in those were wearing, uh, were wearing things on their heads and I was like, ah, so that makes sense. Yeah. Even um, if you're killing your husband, you're still married now. That's also um, one of the origins of like the wedding veil. Oh, there you go. Oh, which was like, which is like, yeah, you had it in the front of your face, and it was supposed to be like your reveal, and then also like you were veiled. Now, oh, baby's first head covering. There you go. <laughs> um, and this sort of idea of covering hair for modesty uh, is also shown in in Islam with the idea of the hijab uh, with the head coverings. Um, is and all w- of the different varieties thereof. Mm. He, yeah, the the hijab, the niqab, the burqa. Um, the the idea. Uh, for essentially is for modesty. And so the idea behind covering the hair specifically uh, is that in the presence of the opposite sex, except for close members of family who you could not be married to, uh, so it's essentially anyone you could theoretically be married to, you could had to have your hair covered. Mm. Um, and sometimes it's also taken to be in the presence of... Um, of non non Muslim women as well, uh, for the idea that they could then describe your mm. like the way you looked to people inadvertently. Um, so yeah, that's the idea of head coverings for modesty. Uh, and then, oh yes, yeah, sorry, I forgot to talk about Nazarites. 
Nazarites, uh, you've heard of this, uh, the um, story of Samson, Samson mm-hmm. and Delilah. Mm-hmm. So this actually comes from a specific rest- ritual. Uh, the Nazarites are people who undertake a specific ritual, ritual in which uh, they don't touch wine or in some cases alcohol, but often just wine. They don't cut their hair and they don't uh, go near corpses. And this is supposed to be a holy ritual that once they've completed, you know, they shave off their hair, they provide three different offerings. Um, it's uh, quite a holy thing. Um, now, Samson, when he was imprisoned, was undergoing the Nazarite ritual when he prayed to God for strength. And so that's what granted him the strength was the purity of the ritual, not the hair. It was the purity of the ritual. And cutting of the hair symbolized that that ritual was over. Mm. And that's why he lost his strength. It wasn't necessarily his hair, but it was the significance of the hair to the purity of the ritual, um, which is something that I, that I think gets lost in the pop culture, um, in, in that sort of the way we talk about it outside of a Bible study. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I just wanted to talk briefly about Rastafari and uh, Sikhism. So in Rastafari... Um, Growing dreadlocks was a way of visually demarcating uh, themselves as members of the community, members of that religion. Yeah. Um, and dreadlocks were just because Jamaican hair does that. That's mm. that's what it does. Um, if you don't wash it, it, and if you keep letting it grow, it'll grow into dreadlocks. I would assume that's because with like the fri- like frizzy, yep. kinky hair, there's just like more like ga- like air gaps in it, so it doesn't like do like the gross things that like long straight hair would do. Yes, and also it just it grows into itself. Yeah. Oh, true. Yeah, cuz it would it would like then weave naturally. That yeah. makes uh-huh. sense. Depending on what curl pattern you have, you can like see the different types of locks people grow. It's essentially like imagine if you got like um like yield Victorian like barrel curls and just like curled it tighter until it like locked in on itself. Yep. Ooh. Um you could power a trebuchet with that shit. <laughs> And essentially the idea behind the locks, uh, not only are they a way to visually demarcate themselves, uh, it was actually seen partially as a marker of strength linked to the story of Samson. Um, Oh, the idea being that if you'd ever lost your strength, you'd cut your hair. It was more that it it was a symbol of purity. It was a symbol of, of adherence to the culture and to... Faith. Oh, interesting. So it's more about the positive significance yeah. of having the hair, not about the not negative about the significance of, of losing it. Yeah, so it, it is completely optional um, in Rastafari to grow your hair. Um, that being said, it is very much encouraged. Because mm-hmm. um, I believe I read, and I may be somewhat paraphrasing incorrectly, but I believe I read a little while back that in um, the like Pacific Island cultures, um, a lot of the time people would, like, warriors would grow their hair really long and then when they lost a battle, they would then cut it. Hmm. I haven't haven't seen that, but yes, that could that is something I've heard of it's, vaguely. Someone did it for yeah. sure. So it, was, it, was, it was an ancient culture um, and it was a big deal because then it was like, because that was kind of the opposite where, like, the, your hair was more like a negative sing- signifier if you, like, mm. didn't have it. Very much sounds like something that would come out, come out in an Asian culture. Um. Like with that, the ties to honor and honor in battle. Mm. Yeah, see if I can find it. Um, um, uh, but then finally, sort of, there's Sikhism, and this is one of my favorites. Actually, this huh? is the so men in Sikhism are not to cut their hair, and they tie it up in a turban, which is 
you know, it's that's why people have turbans in case you didn't know, because this is something I discovered only when I turned like 17 or something. <laughs> I don't know. It was embarrassingly late that I realized that turbans are full of hair. Um, it's like that thing where like someone comes out of the shower with long <laughs> hair and they like tie it up in a thing. And if you have short hair, you're like, how the fuck did you do that? How did you yeah. make a towel into a hat? It's what even are you worse doing? when they don't realize your hair's in it and they pull it as a joke. It's oh, you have a brother. <laughs> I do have a brother. Um, so essentially, it's like, yeah, it's like that to like a whole, to like an insane new level. Mm. Um, so essentially as uh, central tenets of Sikhism, there are the five Ks. I'm not going to go through all of them, but two of them are Kesh and Kanga. So Kesh is uncut hair wrapped in a, in a duster or a turban. Uh, and this is, uh, it's a symbol of the respect for God's perfect creation, that you're not to be um, changing God's perfect creation. Mm. Um, so that's why they don't cut their hair. And Kanga is keeping a wooden comb uh, in the dustar, uh, which is the turban, um, to keep the hair well kept and clean. And this is living by the central tenet of uh, Sikhism, to live uh, tidy and organised. Um, and so it is... That very simple, you need to brush your hair. Yeah. Um, and I think that is just such a perfect symbol of religious significance of it, uh, is this is an acknowledgement of God's creation and you are to keep it well-maintained. Yeah, look after it. This is a gift, look after it. Yeah. Brush your damn hair. Brush it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. really interesting. And so that's, that's what I got there. That's... Um, me having fu- having fun looking at the religious significance of hair. Hmm. So, hold on. I guess I've never really considered too closely the mechanics of a turban. So, do you just... Do you, like, wrap the hair in a thing and then wrap that around? I believe so. Uh, I believe the hair is wrapped in the duster. Um, but to be fair, I don't have long hair, nor have I ever worn a turban. Oh yeah, um, although when you do visit a Sikh temple, it is, it is uh, accepted that what you do is you uh, go in barefoot and you cover your hair. Mm. Um, I have a, a photo of myself wearing a, an orange headscarf in in India, um, about to walk into the the uh, Gurdwara. No, that's Islam. No, in into the Sikh temple. Uh, at hmm. Delhi. Hmm. That's also very interesting in terms of like caring for your hair and like um, like not cutting it and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, because it's, I know that, I can't remember who it is. There's a couple of cultures where when you're in mourning, you cut your hair or if you're a widow, you cut your hair. And that's, I mean, that's a identifier. Oh, yes. And also like. That is tied to um, part of the reason that it is believed to be part of the reason that Judaism uh, has that you do not cut the corners of your hair. Mm. Uh, it is actually, uh, it's hypothesized by some historians. It's not been confirmed anywhere, but it is hypothesized that this is a seen as an attack on the custom of offering hair to the dead or shaving in mourning. It was a way of stopping people from doing that. Was writing oh. that into scripture. Um, oh. Also, there was some interesting takes around the Middle Ages. Um, where it became understood that that Bible that verse could mean no shaving with a razor, so you cannot cut your hair, uh, and so scissors because they used two blades rather than one, uh, chemicals and pumice were sometimes used for hair removal and hair management, huh. um, and 
the but the the Kabbalah, which is uh, an extra sort of set of books or set of scriptures, um, states the beard is holy and not to be cut at all. And so Hasidic Jews tend towards keeping their beards long as well mm. because it's it's just not to be damaged at all. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I am also looking, and so obviously this is going to be massively paraphrased, but the, the way a turban works, just to clarify, because I feel bad not cl- not then clarifying after I made such a thing mm. of it, is essentially you create like a big ponytail at the front. And you yep. Uh, then twist it into like a kind of a rope and create like a top knot with that. Um, either like if it's uh, long yep. enough, you tie it in on itself and create like a slip knot. If it's not, you just like tie it up with like something. So they create a top bun. Yeah. And then some people will uh, put essentially what's called a, it's called a patka, which is kind of like a bandana-esque thing. So uh, you yeah. put it like a piece of material, like a rectangular piece of material you put over the top. It's got some ties on it that you then wrap around the hair and those ties dangle down the back and then you tie them around the front of the top knot. Right. So then that like locks it in place and then the turban itself is essentially like a long ribbon thing that you then wrap around ah. the, the whole thing to create your turban. There you go. So that's fun. I've always wondered how that worked and I just never thought to look it up and so now there you go. There's mm. a few different methods but that's like the oh. basic one that, that WikiHow has given me. Yeah. Um. So that's, so that's that's been here. Um, what we'll do, we'll go on a quick break now, and we'll come back in a, in a mo to talk about uh, what you can do with hair. Wash it. See you, gang. Oh yeah, wash it. You should wash it. Wash it. Wash your hair right now. And br- What's up, fuckers? We're back, and we've got a goddamn idea for you. You better fucking like it. This is our second aggressive fortnight in a row. Can, yeah, can look. Like one of us... Can somebody else open these next time? I think we need to, like, yeah. share it around. You guys are going to stop letting me do this shit. Lachlan has one approach, and it's like the auditory equivalent of being punched in the face. Look, sometimes I'll say something fun and light and quirky. Sometimes I can't think of anything, and I take that frustration out on the microphone. Uh, and that's <laughs> fine, right? That seems healthy. Anyway, mm. so ideas. So we were talking in the break, and this was kind of open ended because, like, it's a lot you can do with hair, and like, I don't want to be like, too prescriptivist about like cultural things or whatever. So mm. just consider this, right? What if someone wanted to sneak into a ding dang monastery and they just shave their head the same? Who's doing that? The whole point of shaving your head is that's how you show you're committed to being a monk, right? So it's like you do it, anyone looks at you and they're like, I guess you're committed to being a monk. Yeah, at, at the very least at a surface level, you have you fit in. Yeah, like you, you could walk by unnoticed. I just really like the idea of like it's such a simple thing, such a, such a minor difference between a monk in their robes with their tonsure shaved as required and someone who took a a straight razor to the middle of their head and put on a cloak before they left the house this morning. (laughs) Like, visually, not a lot of distinction there. And I feel like we should do something with that. Yeah, and it, it brings you... I mean, that's the hook right there because you can do all sorts of stuff with that. If you want to be nice and fun and lighthearted and silly, you can have 
monk hijinks ensue because nobody can tell the difference. But if you want to play it a little more, you know, intriguing or like a little more difficult, then maybe you have to do some research, figure out what exactly they do and what the hair care, you know, is, what the significance is. If there's specific areas of the head not to be shaved, if there's, you know, specific ways of looking after it. Or maybe there's a series of things that you kind of have to do to, like, fit in as a monk. And shaving your hair is just kind of like your way in the door to be able to investigate what those things are. Mm. Just like a constant, like, you've got to keep your head shaved, otherwise you can't work out what the things you need to do are. You just go to bed one night and, like, the monk across the room from you is like, (laughs) you're not going to brush your hair. You're fucking gross, dude. Like, (laughs) what the... you got to brush your hair before you go to bed. That's... Filthy. And then that, yeah, and that's fun because then it's just like all of the little things that your DM says, like, yeah. oh, and you, what, you're walking down the hall and you see some people doing this and you see some people doing this and whatever. It's like if your party's not taking notes on that, literally any of those could be like, you could just be like, that's actually an important cultural practice and you totally got found out immediately. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you could really go, if you are in uh, a lot more of a, a, a more serious campaign, you could go as far as taking that similar approach to the missing tonsure. Uh, and if you cut your hair in the wrong way, you could be cutting in, you could be creating the symbol of a, a different culture, a, in fact, a rival culture. Uh, imagine accidentally doing in a, a triangular tonsure um, when you're trying to break into the, when you're trying to break into the Roman Catholic church. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the you're a, you're target. a pagan there. Like yeah. they will straight up know that you don't belong. In fact, you're the one of the people they've been trying to drive out. Yeah, and yeah, again, that's another interesting point. There's like so much opportunity to use hair as something that's like a dangerous thing, like a, a bold self-identification in the face of like an enemy kind of thing. There's like a, there's a lot of there's I don't know. There's a lot of stuff you can do with it. Yeah, it's a, a ton of opportunity. An incredibly significant thing. People's hair. Hey, yeah. Dandy. Were you saying something? Grace? Oh, I was just going to make a joke about shaving a target into the back of your head. <laughs> yeah, you just shave a little bullseye. <laughs> yeah. What's up, guys? Yeah, I mean, cut yeah. right to the chase. Do a bullseye fade. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Oh. Oh. Are we I talking mean, top? I like the idea of top down, so it's like a tonsure, only you've got like multiple levels shaved in. You've just got a tonsure and a top knot. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a little doorknob on top. That's so funny. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I like the idea that, like, the tonsure is just, like, m- the medieval fade. <laughs> Kids Monks everywhere were, are going crazy for it. Yeah, mugs were stylish as hell. Um, anyway, I think that's us for this, uh, for this episode. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for, for tuning in once again. Um, if you're one of our uh, thousand listeners, uh, I expect you to send an email right now. Yeah, you got your email up op- app open now. I'm just giving people time to to get the phone out of the pocket. Oh no, I know, of I know everyone's on the train the and stuff. Podcast is so, already so long, Dolly. So, uh, yep, you've got that. So email us at deepdivetnc at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Let us know about your hairdo and why that's significant to you. Could be just it looks nice or it's low maintenance or it could be something incredibly significant uh, that I don't have the brain power to think of right now. But uh, please do send us an email. We'd love that. If you don't want to do that, if you don't want to like email us directly, 
look, I'll even take just like CC us in like whatever email you're sending today. Yeah, please. Any emails that you're sending today, just CC us in. Yeah, you're like emailing your mum, you're emailing your, your, your professor. Yeah, just something going your real on. Real estate agent. Yeah, just fucking CC dungeon deep as fucking no, sorry, CC deep dive TNC at gmail.com. And Hell, with that, BCC oh, it if you oh. don't want anyone to know. Look, look, I won't tell anyone. I won't reply all. I might. I also just want to shout out the two YouTubers that I got all of my information from because they're really good and I've watched their stuff for a really long time. Okay, the first one is Lopesy. It, it's spelt funny L O E P S I E. And then the other one is uh, CV Platts because of the, the pun. CV Platt. <laughs> oh, that's fun. I get hair. it. That's Anyway, great. they're both really cool and they do a lot of like historical and fantasy inspired stuff and it's really interesting. Love that. Check them out. We'll make sure the links are in the show notes. Love you dearly. All, all of you. Um, catch you next fortnight for another lovely episode. Goodbye. I love you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.